the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's buying words from a high school valedictorian and then another installment of Grinds My Gears. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a beautiful Thursday afternoon here. It is almost the 4th of July, so... Hopefully you have a, at least a barbecue planned, if not a trip and uh full fledged like 4th of July doesn't feel like it starts summer, Aubrey, but it feels like it starts summer travel. That's like what I was thinking, although I've already gone on my first summer yes, you trip, have. but yes, you're you right. 4th of July feels like it's I mean, you're right. It doesn't kick off summer, but there is something about like the 4th travel season summer vacation begins here we go go. yeah yeah there you go so uh glad that you are with us all right i saw this i think our producer passed this on uh kind of an inspiring story from fox news about a high school valedictorian kind of really sharing her faith and and like really wrestling with whether to do that in her speech uh so the main point i want to do is talk to you about what she said but can i make a confession yeah I think I've always said the word valedictorian with another V in it. I think I've always said valid Victorian. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. But I know it's not spelled that way, but I think that's how I've always said it. Like a valid Victorian. And that when I saw it, I was like, I think that's spelled wrong. And then I'm like, no, no, that's correct. It's valedictorian. Okay. Have you, you you often talk about. Seinfeld. I, did you uh-huh. watch Friends? Were you a Friends uh-huh. person? Uh-huh. Do you know uh-huh. the whole episode where Joey is saying supposedly with a B <laughs> instead, instead of supposedly? That's what this is. And one of my favorite parts is Joey. They're like questioning him and he's like, will I go to the zoo today? Supposedly. Yeah, that's right. Supposedly. <laughs> I did. Valid- I did. Wait, what was it? Valedict. Val- so it's valid- valedictorian. Right. Well, what did always, you say? I've always wanted to say it valid Victorian, like with a V. Yeah, it actually kind of works. Or like, it's like a valid victory or something. Or out of like the Victorian that. age. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly, that's right. Yes. Okay. I love it. I love it. Are you a fake Victorian? No, I'm a valid Victorian. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh. I clearly was not the valid. Uh, Victorian of my school because I did not even know what the name was. Uh, but this is out of Georgia. Uh, her name is no South Carolina. I'm sorry, a high schooler uh, by the name of Lydia Owens. She was the public high school valid valedictorian and high school class president. And she decided uh, that she wanted to kind of share her faith uh, from the front, from her speech that's pretty crazy. Like if I were given the valedictorian speech, I got to be honest, Aubrey, if I was asked at my high school to speak, I'd be looking for laughs. Oh, I'd yeah. Be telling stories. This girl, like that's a big step to be like, I want to talk about something of deep 
importance as deep as my faith. That's a, that's kind and, of impressive. And just to be clear, like this was a this was a public school, right? Because you see, it like right. at a Christian school, it's kind of like, yeah, that's what everybody's talking about. But she did it in her public school, so that is pretty bold, especially as a high schooler. Do you ever? Okay. We're going to talk about how amazing and inspiring this is, but can I ask like a little bit of a cynical question? Do you ever, sometimes I worry I about those young, like high schoolers that feel this kind of intense pressure. Like it sounds so bad as someone who has her master's in evangelism degree. Like I want, I want people sharing their faith all the time. Like I want everyone listening to hear that. But I also but, sometimes worry but- about like this. 18 year old valedictorian already an overachiever now feeling this pressure to like uh, share her faith. Like speech. I just, I think I just wonder, is she going to be okay in college? You know what I mean? That's is she, is she, is her faith going to hold up? Is she going to be all right? I'll worry about her a little bit, you're, but obviously she's so, strong enough so, in her faith. You're so cynically counting down to this poor girl's deconstruction. I am. I've been around the block, Brian. Like, uh, but but let's take it for what it's worth, and let's celebrate the fact that that was pretty bold in her school. I'm to going to be inspired by this girl now. Sadly, uh, some of what drove her sadly was that her mother passed away two years ago, uh, and so uh, she said her mom was an ideal example to me of how to live out my Christian faith. Okay, I want to share more of what she said because you're right. Uh, I lived in some self, like, I don't want people to think like my parents or my church put this on me. I lived with some kind of like self guilt around my faith when I was in high school and college. Oh, I'm sitting here. I better talk to this person about Jesus. I better say this. I better not do this. So totally getting this, but listen to what she said. This is probably what made her a valedictorian, but, uh, I didn't have this sort of perspective when I was 18 years old. She said this, no matter what your future holds, please remember that life is so much more than how successful you are. Hmm. Even if you accomplish all of your dreams or none of them at all, you're still valuable and still good enough because you're made in the image of God. She went on to say, you don't have to worry about whether or not you'll be successful because God promises that his grace is sufficient for us and his power is made perfect in mm. weakness. Oh, Dang, wow. that preaches, huh? The valedictorian wow. coming out fire in there. I'm also reading here, and maybe you said this and I just missed it, but that her mom died a few years ago. So she talks right, about I did how say that, that, yes. That yeah that okay so now I feel now I feel really bad because she's no, been through pain so context, I'm like context. I'm like okay okay yeah that's what a what a word of wisdom especially for this generation who I think feels like you have to be exceptional and feels like you have right. to be noticed and you have to have some type of following some type of influence in this world whether it's just online or like doing something big I think all right, of our being all influence. Of like all of the generations have sort of felt like that pressure to like change the world as they graduate. But I think there is an added pressure uh, in this generation to have to do it publicly and in front right. of your friends and do it online. And so, I mean, it's not just a powerful word. It's a very like prophetic word for her generation to say, look, whether or not you're achieving, you're still loved and you're going to be okay. And let's talk through how we actually define our success. And yeah, she's preaching. I like it. I like it. I also think the power here, whether it's a high school, well, especially to high schoolers or college students, where your identity is so wrapped up in what you do and what you can accomplish. Yeah. yeah. For her to say to them, 
whether you accomplish all of your dreams or none of them, you're still valuable and good enough because you're made in the image of God. I know you've written a lot about that, mm-hmm. but speak again about your value, the difference it makes to realize our value being rooted that we are created in the image of God. Also, I mean, I will answer your question, but side note, too bad she didn't say, and here's a quote from author Aubrey Sampson nope. and her book. Yeah, nope. not, she's a, reading she's a, not about me. The books that she's reading is a lot more highbrow than that. Yeah, no, I think that's probably true. Yep. You can tell she's way smarter than me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like it's it's the old like um, our being our being matters just as much as our doing. And so you mm-hmm. never want to say God doesn't care about what you do because God does care about what you do. But simply because you exist in this world as someone created in God's image, you are loved. Mm. And God spoke, you know, I always think about Adam and Eve. We we tend to go, so, so we go to the fall so fast. We're always like sinners, broken, kicked out of the garden. The image of God is so warped and eroded and eroded and terrible and we forget like the whole first part of Genesis one and two is God saying like, you are good. You are very good. And some of the ways that that phrase is translated is like, you are my masterpiece. You are loved. You are satisfying to me. You are like a perfect meal. Like God created an Adam and even before they did anything before they sinned, but also before they even started like tending to the garden and, and making that place a home before they did anything, God was speaking goodness and blessing over them. And I think we have to remember that, like, that's our identity outside of sin, that we mm-hmm. are blessed and good. And even in the midst of our sin, God provided a way for us to uh, experience wholeness and freedom and forgiveness. So again, our identity in Jesus is that like, wholeness, that righteousness of Jesus. And so, yeah, I think it's just a good reminder, like simply because you exist in the world, you have value and you're loved by God, whether you're Mm. sleeping or whether you're slaying on social media, you have value and dignity. Yes. The valedictorian of this high school (laughs) kind of bringing the fire. I hopefully classmates heard it. Hopefully they heard it and hopefully we heard it today as well. Your value is found in the fact that you were created by God in his image and you can find great security in that and you can live in that. All right, coming up next, Aubrey, uh, we've talked about a lot of stories on this show over the years, but I don't know if I've ever shared a story of a chimpanzee staring up into the sky. Oh, wow. Okay. What are we going to do with that story? Oh, you better come back because I'm going to tell you next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. All right. You go to the Brookfield Zoo, Aubrey. I'm sure you went there when your kids were younger. Oh, yeah. Uh, I used to go there all the time because we would ask my parents for a zoo membership for Christmas. Nice. And so when my kids were younger, we'd go there all the time. Did you or your kids have a favorite area in the zoo? You know, they liked uh, like the sea life, the penguins. There's that whole place where you go kind of, it's like underwater and you see all the fish and all the aquariums. I like and you that. end up with the penguins. The only thing is, man, there is penguin poop all over the place in that joint. It smelled it in that place. It does not smell good. Yeah. Like no. fish and poop? No bueno. But they loved that. And then we would, uh, you know, we would sometimes go to the gorilla area, which is really cool, but also stinky, like a lot of stinky places at the zoo as I'm, as I'm thinking back on it right now. Uh, and they so would the also part- want to go to the Dippin' Dots cart and get ice cream. Of course. Of course. I used, because we never had to pay to go there because we had the membership, uh, I can remember when Emily was little, it would just be her and I, because the other two were like kind of done with the zoo. 
Yeah. There were times we didn't even go see an animal. We would just go to the face painting place mm. or, uh, you know, That's like the merry-go-round. When she was little, yeah. we called the merry-go-round the up and down. So we'd go to oh, the up cute. and down. I think I've shared this story before, but one of the funniest things, and it made for a good ser- sermon illustration, is uh, one time I was, I remember I was carrying Emily. It was just her and I. We're walking into the zoo, and I said, hey, sweetie, what do you want to go see first? Because she, she was little, so she yeah. had to kind of be strategic about where right. you went. Otherwise, right. And she looked at me. She goes, Daddy, I want to see the unicorn exhibit. <laughs> and I was like, you're like, uh oh. Okay. And so I said to her, I took a deep breath and I said, Sweetie, the unicorn exhibit's closed today. Next time you... mommy comes, next time mommy brings you, ask her to take you. <laughs> you did not. You did, did not. Did. Oh, that's funny. That's I the did. unicorn so, exhibit. So, like you, we would often go see the chimps or the monkeys, the monkey yep. house, as it was called. Yep. And the reason I tell you this is let me tell you a story that I read in the New York Post the other day. Okay. Because uh, it's both happy and really sad. A touching video caught the first time that Vanilla the Chimpanzee, a 29-year-old survivor of New York's infamous Laboratory for Uh-oh. Experimental Medicine and Surgery in Primates, Uh-oh. saw the open sky after arriving at Save the Chimp <gasps> Sanctuary in Fort Pierce, Florida. Listen to this. Vanilla had never, 29 years, had never been outside of a five-foot square cage or a garage-sized enclosure until she moved in. And by the looks of it, she is spellbound by the new place. Uh, She lived in this notorious laboratory until she was two, and then she was taken other places. She has never been outside. And so, Aubrey, the other day, the other day, for the first time in 29 years, she saw the sky. Come on. And in the heartwarming video, uh, she's greeted by a hug by the alpha male. And stop, then she stop. looks up and she has the most human uh, look of awe and like this on smile face. on her face. Because uh, in California, where she was taken after New York, Uh, She lived with a handful of chimps inside a chain link fence cage with no grass and very little enrichment. And so after all of this time, she's now with a smaller group of chimpanzees in this picture. If you haven't opened it, you should. I am looking at this picture on the post.com. I mean, it is wild. Like the chimpanzee's face is literally, it's very human, but it's, it's just total awe and wonder. It's like she's looking at the sky with just like, <gasps> like it's so amazing. Like there's not fear. There's joy in the expression. Her mouth is wide open. It's like a kid at Christmas or something. It's yeah. really, really, really a moving photo, actually. So my favorite thing about social media is like seeing inspirational, heartwarming videos. I've told you before, I'm a sucker for the military person oh, surprises their those parents videos will get or their you spouse. Every time. Yes. And it's always Chris Daughtry in the background. I'm yeah. coming home. <laughs> you know, right there. Oh, man. Yes. Uh, so there's those. Have you seen there's if you haven't seen these videos, you need to see them because it reminds me of this story. Uh, have you seen any videos? Of especially children uh, who were colorblind, who are colorblind. Or, no, no, no. Or who like didn't see well and then they got eye corrective surgery or like glasses for the first time. 
Yes. So those are killer amazing emotional because half the time the kids start crying or half the times they're like mom i see you or like i mean it is it is you i I always watch those videos and i kind of think the kids are going to be afraid because you can't i mean it'd be so i think shocking to go from sort of blurry to everything clear would be a little bit intimidating right it would change the way you walk and your perspective and but most of the time these kids are overwhelmed with joy and emotion and it's almost like they knew what they'd been missing or something so and then oh yeah those will get you so there are two separate ones. The one you described is the ones. It's a whole kind of a lot of them yeah, fun a genre right. of like the baby or the little kid who they put the the glasses on and all of a sudden their face is like. Oh, yeah. Uh, the other one I was describing to you, if you've never seen, because it's always either an adult or it's like a teenager where they now make. And I'm sure they're really expensive, but they make like sunglasses that correct color oh. blindness. And so what you'll see is these people can see well, but they put these glasses on. Can you imagine? I just want you to imagine this. Everything's been like dark or whatever and or like pale or black and white or whatever. And you put these glasses on and all of a sudden it all pops the color. Mm. And it's exactly what you said. A lot of times they'll start crying and they have to like take off the sunglasses Mm. because it's almost too much. Overwhelming or something. It's un. I I almost I almost cry at those every time. So you're uh, about to make a really powerful spiritual point, but can I tell you the plot of a Christmas Hallmark movie I watched? Yes, because then I will make our powerful yeah. spiritual point. Yeah, yeah, and I hope this doesn't undermine your powerful spiritual point. But you know what it was about? It was about a young female doctor who specialized in those glasses, and she met kind of a grumpy, very attractive male teacher who didn't like Christmas and Christmas decorations. Because he couldn't see the colors. Oh. She convinced him to try the glasses, changed his view about Christmas, changed his whole life. And you'll never guess they fell in love and got married the next Christmas. That movie sounds awful. It was amazing. It was so, it was one of the best. Is movies it called ever. like is it called like Christmas colors? Or yeah, like... it is called like Christmas in color or something like that. That's funny. All right. I'm gonna Back to you, your spiritual point. No, I'm going to let you oh, make let the powerful spiritual point. I've given you, I've given you the start of a chapter for your next book, or I've given you the chimpanzee story, the colorblind story. What is your point? What do you want to go with? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few ways to go, but I think one of these things makes me think about like Paul when he's talking about like. Um, Paul talks about our, us being veiled, but in Jesus, we're unveiled. It's like there's a veil over our eyes and we can't see the glory of God. He's, he's kind of referencing back to Moses, right? Who was, experienced God's glory and his face shone so brightly, he had to wear a veil over his face. Paul talks about how because of what Jesus has done for us, that veil, we no longer have to wear that veil. We no longer have that, have that separation between us and God. And so I do think there's something beautiful about experiencing the glory of God specifically through the love of Jesus as displayed on the cross that begins to open your eyes to this whole new world that God has for you. And you begin to see more clearly, see God's goodness more brightly. Nice. And in, some, in some ways it is overwhelming, right? And you kind of do have to take your glasses off and adjust and, and do kind of, okay, put them back on. Okay. You know, but I, I think that's sort of that invitation, the invitation into life with Jesus is into that 
like richness, fullness, full color life that God has for us. Very good. See? Boom! Landed it! You're a preacher. You're an author. People out there, go to YouTube and Google mm. uh, kids seeing for the first time or colorblind mm. glasses or whatever else. Just this chimpanzee uh, or, is so powerful. Yeah. The pin- chimpanzee. Or watch the Hallmark movie, Colors of Christmas. <laughs> 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 I, I ruined it i ruined it didn't i gotta I? be honest that movie sounds so terrible <laughs> it was so bad it was so bad but i watched the whole thing <laughs> coming up next want to talk about uh what makes a good sermon what makes a worthwhile sermon uh yeah let's discuss that next on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Almost 4th of July weekend. Hope you got some uh, some barbecue, maybe a, a, some time on a boat, whatever else. It might, parade, uh, railroad days in West Chicago. I think that's what you said. We don't Look do. you. You are. You, I am so. I listen I, when you talk. I listen. I am so impressed. Yeah. Railroad days in West Chicago. We're going to actually hit, hit the road to Oklahoma to celebrate the 4th of July uh, at a lake house and uh good so wait good i just life. figured this out you're you told us today and earlier in the week that your husband and your oldest yep. son were in colorado yeah yep. are they meeting you in oklahoma or is this a split vacation <laughs> no this is literally they get back the car is packed and we get it we go to oklahoma it's wild it's kind of a crazy my poor 17 year old was like but my friends you know social life at that age is pretty tricky but yeah no they land i will have the car packed and we will drive to oklahoma yeah they're gonna be exhausted they will sleep in the car i said this before but i want to be kevin sampson when i grow up i know he's a pretty good life right he's got it going on i know i know he does and he knows it he deserves it though. He works really, really hard and he's a good man. And I like him. I like him refreshed and fulfilled more than I like him drained and empty. So I am all for it. Go and have fun in your life. I, uh, by the way, uh, the show kind of informing things that then happened in my life. I thought of your husband again the other day for the most weird reason. Oh. I was at my son's baseball game. I was walking to go use the bathroom, the porta potty, and I had to wait while they sprayed it out. And cleaned it, and it reminded oh, me that, that you said Kevin's your husband job. did that for yeah. the summer. That's right. Was that like, was oh, one of that okay. was one of his awesome jobs. That when they called him Schooly as his nickname. Okay, Schooly, you're going back to school. He's like, yep, yep. yeah, because I'm not doing this job for the rest not of my doing life. This I'm for my life. So going back to uh, school. Speaking of jobs, we do for our whole life. Kevin is also as Aubrey and I. We are pastors. We preach on a regular basis. And uh, I found this article the other day from Nine Marks. And I want to start by just the title. The content of it ends up being good. I think the setup of it is one of my pet peeves about pastors. You ready for this? Ready. Lessons lessons from the worst sermon I ever heard. Do you ever get a little bothered by pastors who critique other pastors' sermons? Uh, All the time. Now, let's do pastor grinds my gears. Let's, Let's say a couple things. One... As a pastor and a preacher, we're all critiquing each other's sermons, but we're doing 100%. it privately, you know, or we're doing it with jealousy, right? We're not, we're not doing it. For, we're either right. doing it like, oh, I would have said it this way. Or, Oops. I right. think, you know, or we're like, oh man, they preach that way better than I ever could. You know, you're, you're doing it as sort of a comparison game, right? 
but you don't go public with it. Like, I feel like that's sort of an understanding. Like, I am never going to go online and be like, I listen to Brian from Sermon and he should have said yep. this point. Like, I just yep. would never, because it's so hard to preach. It's so vulnerable to preach that, like, I just wouldn't, you know, you're going to think it, but you're not going to do anything publicly with it. Or if you do, I definitely have a hard time with that. I agree. It is, it feels like uh, just an arrogant thing to do. And so yeah. this guy, I won't name him. He titled it the worst sermon I've ever heard. And then talked about being on like sabbatical and going to a bunch of different churches. And he kind of talked about his problem with like the trajectory of a lot of the sermons that he heard. Yeah. And that was my first thought. Like, I don't know, dude, do these other people know you were in their churches and now they know you're talking about them. And, uh, but then he lands on a conference that he went to and the sermon given at the conference, which again, I hope the person doesn't know that you were there and then reads this. Wow. Oh, so he's okay. So when we first he, brought not this naming up, he, them, not naming them, but he does call it the worst sermon I've ever heard. And I, I feel like, okay, one, that's really theologically arrogant and sermon preacher arrogant. But I was thinking he was going to say his own sermon. Like no. I thought this was sort of like, here's the worst sermon I've ever preached. No, no. Oh, he so said heard, not, not given. Well, I hope it wasn't me. hope it wasn't a, a conference I was at. <laughs> He's like, I was in Seattle last weekend. And, um <laughs> Whoa. So I want to talk more about where he lands, but it is hard. As a pastor, I, I don't do well listening to other people, and that's rooted in my own arrogance. It's just, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I want to hear, I'd rather speak, or I would rather, I would have it's said totally, this, I would have done totally. this. But he talks about what he ends up, and this won't surprise you for it being an article on Nine Marks, where wow. he ends up landing is a lot of these sermons were just Christian pep talks. Okay, and he sure, kind sure. of bemoans the lack of gospel in a lot of them. And okay. he talks about the gospel kind of being assumed. And uh, let me, I'll read to you how he ends this. And then I would love to just talk about, well, then I have a question for you. He says, okay. we could do better than sermons that twist the text and leave people with nothing more than a Bible-based pep talk. When you preach sure. a text, remember that it's a statement made in the context of the story of the Bible and that every text invites us to find our lives in that story. Therefore, may all our preaching invite unbelievers to find true life in Christ and may all of our preaching call Christians to walk in the light of what God has done, is doing, and promises to do in Jesus. So I think we'd all agree with that. Um, Absolutely. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I'm happy about how he got there by ripping other no. people's sermons. I'm not but happy me, how he got there either. And oh, go ahead. I, I was going to make a point, but you couldn't ask me your question. No, go ahead. Go ahead, because I have a different well, question. I, you know, you and I have talked about context, right? And and I'm just going to I'm going to bring up a the Seattle. I was just in Seattle, and I know I mentioned this earlier this week, but I think this is worth mentioning here. They are very specific about that church, about what they want on a Sunday morning. They definitely want you to share the gospel and invite people to Jesus. They do like a quote unquote altar call or a prayer of salvation every single Sunday. So yep. like they do not shy away from the gospel. 
However, they like their content to be incredibly practical, incredibly data and research-based. I think I mentioned this to you earlier. And they like you to hop around from the Bible. They're not, you're, you are absolutely not exegeting a passage of scripture there. And what he's talking about here is a type of sermon where you're exegeting passages of scripture. And right. I'll tell you, my, the context we're in here in the suburbs around Wheaton and Moody and Trinity, we tend to be pastors who are doing that type of, that type of preaching, like more exegetical, a little more like text base drawing from there in this context that is like unchurched out of the bubble. They don't want that. They want you to enter in the scripture through very practical topics. Then in time, small group, community, other events, they teach people skills about studying the Bible, that kind of thing. But I think there's value for both. And I think we need to be really careful as communicators of the gospel as preachers, not to assume we know the best way to uh, prepare a sermon for every context around the world, every context that you're in, because God works through all kinds of things. And if his word is being preached, his gospel is being preached, and you're saying things that are wise and true and good and point people to the love of God, there are ways to do it without having to do what he's talking about here. So I just, I don't love... To me, it feels like an inexperienced preacher who's been in one context that writes a blog post like this, to be honest. I agree. It's uh, and it's it's on brand of nine marks. But with that it's said, on brand. yeah, with that said, should every sermon land on Jesus? Should every sermon because that's one of his points earlier that even Old Testament, every sermon needs to point to Jesus needs to explicitly, you know, where do you land on that? Or are there times where we go, hey, we're going to talk about marriage today or should I bring that back to Jesus? What do you think about that? I mean, I think ideally, probably, um, even if you're just, even if the sermon itself isn't about like Jesus on the cross, even if you're preaching a sermon on marriage, you still can go, Hey, the only way we truly love each other for the long haul is through the grace and power of Jesus in our lives. Jesus died on the cross for us. And therefore we ought to lay down our lives for our spouses. Like, so it doesn't necessarily have, like, you can take the thing you're talking about and you can always, always, always bring it home to Jesus. Like I told you this church in Seattle, I was talking about fear of the future. I ended it with the promises of God. And then I ended it with cross, the cross, Jesus's own fear on the cross wasn't necessarily a sermon about Jesus at all, right, right. but you, you somehow land there. And whether it's through, like at our church, we do communion every week. So we're always talking about the gospel every Sunday, whether you land there or whether you, and I don't say added on as in a last minute thought, but I say like, you be sure to mention it for the people in the room who haven't heard the gospel or need to be refreshed of the gospel. Like we all do then yeah, I, th- I think probably you should. And then I also think have grace for the Sundays you yeah. don't and get back there next week, you know? Yep, yep. What? Yeah, we could talk about this a long good- time. Yeah. Uh, we really can, but I think that is a good word. Coming up next, we're going to do Grinds My Gears. I got some hey! stuff to get off my chest. Got some stuff to talk about. We're going to do Grinds My Gears next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. It is time for Grinds My Gears. This is something Woo-hoo! we've done for years here on The Common Good. Aubrey, set it up for us. Why do we do this? Yeah. What are the ground rules? Why is it important? 
Yes. Okay. Grind Swag Gears is one of our favorite things to do. And part of it is we talk about very heavy things on the show because we want to. War in Ukraine, uh, refugee situations, abuse, pain and difficulty in this world. Grinds My Gears, we always want to be very clear, is not that. This is literally petty, shallow venting. We get things off of our chest that have no significance in life. None. Right. And every time we say this, but I think it bears repeating, our classic go-to examples, dogs and baby strollers, men who wear bejeweled jeans. Like those are the things that we vent about on Grinds My Gears. And mostly... It's because they give us a mic, so we're going to do it. Going to do it because I know yeah. that if I let these little things grow mm. in my life, they grow into bigger things, right? That's like a marriage principle. This is like self-care. Yeah. Yes, we talk about that in pre-marriage counseling. If you mm-hmm. allow the little annoyances and the little disagreements to go unresolved, they all of a sudden turn into much bigger things than they ever needed to be. So uh, we're taking that principle and put it towards some of the annoyances of life. Uh, yeah. So I am going to go first. Aubrey, uh, both of I have actually two for you today, and they are both okay. sleep related. Ooh, okay, this and be it's fun. also being a good neighbor. Okay, so uh, we have some people in our neighborhood who will let their dogs out at a very early time in the morning. No, I tend to be awake. Because I get up super early, but sometimes it's like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and these dogs, like dogs do, will bark at passersby. Yes. But they're not small dogs, and so these barks are loud. And I do think my kids have gotten used to it, but I've always thought to myself, there there, there has to be an agreed upon – Yeah. Um time of the morning and at night yes to where it is not appropriate Mm -hmm. for dogs to be allowed to be outside to bark for your neighbors i would agree with that i would i would wholeheartedly agree with that there was a season that would wake up you know my oldest daughter and because her her window was that way and i i think people do it because they don't want the dogs barking in their own house but i'm like that's your dog like that's right. your you, dog. You if it wakes up your kid, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And so I feel like, as a society, I don't think it should be a law. I don't think so. But I, what is the time in the morning mm. that you think societally we should all agree? Before this time, it's too early. But after this time, it's it's acceptable. People, normal people, are up by now. Uh, yeah. If the dog wakes you, the dog wakes you. Yeah, I feel like seven a.m is probably it still feels a slight bit early but 7 a.m is when generally adults are up they've many of them are already dressed like it really it's probably 7 30 to 8 but i think that's pushing it like i don't think people with dogs are going to go that far so i say no earlier than seven i was going to say eight because i'm not saying you can't take your dog out but i'm talking like leaving your dog out okay and they start barking Yeah. Uh, and I think so eight ca- for leaving the dog out, eight for leaving the dog out. I think the night is either nine or 10 o'clock. Okay. And I'm not sure which, cause I, I don't have little kids anymore. So you could talk me in the 10, but when our kids were little, I don't think I would have agreed to 10 o'clock. Um, so there's that. My second one goes along with this Aubrey, and this has to do with the time of year we're in. Okay. 
I do not. It has happened at our house two nights ago. I do not understand people who set off fireworks in their backyard. <laughs> that's at like my cra- yeah. At crazy. That's my whole neighborhood the all the time in the summer. It's just like, like I I I don't yep. understand it. I yeah. I understand Fourth of July something. Yep. Like, but it's always like a huge boom. So it's not like some pretty thing. It's like we're lighting off sticks of dynamite yep. or something. Yep. <laughs> and it never happens at like 6.15 in the evening. Yeah. It's always at yeah. like 10.45. Right. It's and you're like, so now true. my dogs, now my dogs are worked up. Yeah. Now I'm like, was I'm that, awake. Yeah. Was, was that, that a firework? Was that a gunshot? Or, yeah. Right. Or was that something to worry about when your kids were little? Yeah. And I, my two dogs now aren't so bad, but the dog we used to have years ago, she was terrified of fireworks. The only time she ever ran Ugh. away was on the 4th of July when fireworks went off. Ugh. And so that would set her off. I don't get that. You seem to say that it's commonplace in your neck of the woods, oh. but I don't understand individual loud fireworks late at night. I think we need the same agreement that we had with dogs. We need it fireworks. with fireworks. The hard part with fireworks is it has to be after dark or it's not fun. And it's late, like in the summer, right? So I think I think maybe 10, 1030 is the cutoff for that, which is later than I would want to say. But I think, again, realistic, like that's the cutoff. 1020 well, is the last firework you can shoot off. So it's where done I'm by a bad person. Where I'm a bad person is in both of those situations, my mind goes to all right, if they're going to keep me up at night, what can I do in the morning that will wake them? Yeah, that's and good, actually. I like that. I like that. It is good. Uh, I like that vindictive version of Brian. That's fun. Passive yeah, Brian. it's good, but but I don't think it's healthy. All right, your turn. Yeah. So this one's hard because it's actually similar, but there's literally nothing that can be done about it. Well, there are some things, but we're not going to do them. Uh, they're related to the time. Uh, we have a chipmunk. And I don't think I realized until a few years ago that chipmunks are loud. They sound like yipping dogs or something or mice or something. They're like, yip, 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 yip. For real? Chipmunk. Yes. We have a chipmunk that stands on our front porch starting at 6 a.m. And just like whatever barks, beeps, whatever sound you it is so annoying. And I'll go downstairs and I'll like bang on the front window to try to get the chipmunk to leave and it won't. It's just like made itself at home. This has been going on for years. It's basically like a pet chipmunk. It's not cute. It is so annoying, but there's nothing to be done about it unless we like shoot the chipmunk, which we're not going to kill the chipmunk, so, you know? So so can it's I share? Terrible. Some people might want to turn their, their radio off here because I'm about <laughs> to share for some animal chipmunk lovers what would be a disturbing story. Yeah. I have somebody close to me. We'll just say that does not live in my own home, but somebody close to me uh, had a chipmunk issue. Can I share with you what they did? Yeah. Bucket of water. uh, Bird seed on top of the water. Plank. Wooden plank. Uh -uh, Uh-uh. 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 And it drew the chipmunks. And in the span of two days, they drowned 10 chipmunks. 10? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I could go that far, but I could see the reason why you'd want to. You might lose the barking. You might wow. lose the chipmunk noises. You you got a choice to make. I can't. Maybe I your husband has a choice to make. I'm surprised he has not made that choice. 
You tell him that story and we'll just let nature take its course. From there. <laughs> okay, I'm going to grind my gears on myself. This is something I have got to work on as a human adult. I'm excited I, for this. Y- you and I have talked about this. I get up pretty early and I go to bed pretty early. So my morning hours are earlier than... No, I don't know if they're earlier than a lot of people. They're just early. So... I, my brain starts working and I start working and I start thinking about all the things I need to do and I don't have good boundaries. I start texting people at like 7am like, Oh, this, this is, and I have said to myself a million times, stop it, Aubrey, like human adults honor each other's times and don't start texting until like 9am at the earliest. You know what I mean? Like that's when the workday starts. You don't start texting people at 7am, Aubrey but I can't, it's like a habit and I can't as, stop. And Brian, I got to stop. I gotta stop. Yes. As one who has received texts from you uh, at 7 a.m. and also while preaching, I get it. You need some boundaries with texting. <laughs> I do. I do. So I feel like I got to figure out a system like I'm going to write a note to myself about the text I'm going to send or figure out a way to schedule it so it goes out at night. Like something I, – I, this. so I'm grinding my gears on myself and I'm owning a problem that That's I have fair. that I need, I need help. I need help correcting. S- that's good. So today's uh, lesson, keep your dogs inside at reasonable hours. Don't let them bark outside and wake people up. Let's be really mindful about fireworks at night. Also waking people up. Aubrey needs to drown a chipmunk and she's got to wait to send her text till later in the morning. All right. Yeah, the, that, all the good fair. lessons today. <laughs> that's all fair. Hey, Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.